welcome to Phoenix Foundation, an episode-by-episode podcast review of CBS's action-adventure series, MacGyver. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we'll be tackling Season 1, Episode 19, Slow Death. The original air date for this episode was April 2nd, 1986. It was directed by Don Weiss. Uh, we haven't seen before, but yeah. also doesn't come back. Yeah, this was his only episode. Sorry. And uh, this was written by Stephen Candell, the amazing Stephen Candell. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't we get into the brief overview of what this episode is about? Uh, this In this episode of MacGyver, he is on a train bound for somewhere in India, we're assuming. And uh, a couple of, a group of uh, locals, I don't want to say that they're bandits, because it's not fair. But a group of locals... Uh, MacGyver's hi- perfectly willing to do that, though. Yeah. <laughs> they they, uh, they, uh, they stop the train, and they're looking for two men who sold them bad medicines, and they, they plan to kill the men, but no one knows who they are, and they're leaving it to the passengers to find out who they are. Right. Um, so moving into uh, the point-by-point point on this, yeah, this is... Um, they're somewhere in India on mm-hmm. a train, and yeah. this is, and it was actually shot in Indian Hills here. Ah, um, there you go. <laughs> which uh, I learned the location from uh, MacGyver Online has uh, an article from TV Guide at the time where they had interviewed Richard Dean Anderson on the set of this particular episode. So there was a funny story in the article about uh, MacGyver having, uh, oh, MacGyver, uh, Richard Dean Anderson <laughs> uh, having, uh, concluding a tour of the train in the engine room and kind of uh, deciding he was going to throw it into full throttle and sort of burning out the train. And then they had to, like, work on it for a while while they were getting ready to set up the next shot. So what was what was the situation, I wonder, where, where he's up on the end? He's like, he's all, can I, can I like, pull some levers and stuff? They're all, oh, I, sure, Mr. I Anderson, do whatever you want. It doesn't sound like he even asked for permission, according to the article. It sounds like he was just like, so this is the throttle, right? It's just like, <laughs> just burn the thing out. Um, and then just had to wait around while they fixed it. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, he didn't help fix it. So as the episode starts, he's actually not on the train. Um, Cor- correct. We're sort of being introduced to a few of the people, um, like the regular cast of this episode yeah. that we're going to be introduced to later. But Yeah, it kind of it goes from like little group to little group. Guy standing alone, couple sitting in a chair. A, a woman with her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly this car is driving alongside the train yeah. trying to catch up with it desperately. Yeah, so and like, how long were they were they driving? Because it seems like they it were... It could have been out... hours if they were trying to catch up with this train. Yeah, it seems like because they're, they're talking about like being out in this bandit country, so he must have... They must have been out there for a little while, at least. Yeah, I don't think he caught the taxi in bandit country. <laughs> I feel sorry for this taxi driver, really. He's probably going to get mugged. <laughs> yeah, it's, he's got no, no, no chance of getting out of there alive. Yeah. He left him right where the bandits were. Uh, and so he, he drives up to the engineer and is, like, convincing him to, to stop. And It's a pretty crazy stunt, too, because yeah. the car is, like, swerving at the train and then mm-hmm. coming back. And it's not like it's a paved road. It's all dirt. Yeah, and, he, and, he, and, and Richard E. Anderson is, like, leaning out the window a little bit. Yeah, it seems like things could very easily have gone very badly. Yeah. Uh, but the engineer, of course, does eventually yield to slow down the train. Not to stop, but he yeah, slows he down. Stop it. He slows down a bit. So the engineer's reasoning for not stopping the train is that it's too dangerous. Yeah. Which seems weird because it could only make the situation safer by at least slowing down. I guess I guess to me it would be because they're in bandit country. 
and maybe stopping the drain. Oh, the area is too dangerous, maybe. Yeah. Okay. It's, if they stop the drain, it makes them susceptible. Sure. Um, but I suppose, like, slowing them down is the same situation, so it's kind of like... But eventually MacGyver's charm wins him over, and he's like, oh, okay, I'll stop it. Crazy guy. But I it, hope you're not a bandit. But, the, yeah, I have no idea. You could have a gun. Uh, um, but the, it's funny, because, like, the whole time he's trying to get on the train, the passengers are sort of commenting on it. They're, they're just getting a real kick out of it. They're yeah. not terrified at all that they're going through bandit country and someone's trying to get on the train. Yeah, th that would that would be pretty... That would concern me. The only people that seem concerned are the guy that, for whatever reason, gets called uh, Brother Kramer Yeah. in this. Yeah. And, well, and the uh, Webster. Well, as, as, and as we'll come to find out why both those gentlemen yeah. have their legitimate concerns. Spoiler alert. But um, uh, does, is it... Is it Dr. Grant who asks uh, the conductor, are, are we going to stop for him? And he says, that's up to the engineer. And uh, Yeah. And uh, the, But the engineer just slows the train down. Yeah, he won't stop completely. Yeah, and so this gives MacGyver, like the taxi driver stops, and it's just enough time for him to get out and run, and run alongside of the train to hop on. And there's a funny little back and forth, though, between um, there's a, a mother and daughter sitting with each other. Um, and the daughter has the window seat, um, uh, Diane Kingman and her mother, Eleanor Kingman. Eleanor, yeah. Um, and uh, she thinks it's hilarious that this guy's trying to thumb a ride, and she makes the comment to her mom, and then her mother's like, oh, yes, well, your generation hasn't enough discipline to catch a train on time. And her reaction to it is so great. I actually really love the line. She's like, I didn't mean to make a whole thing, mother. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> I just love like the way it plays. It's, yeah, you instantly get their relationship. Yeah, like, it's like, I am oh, freewheeling, geez. and this is entertaining to me, and my mom's just, like, terrible. Yeah. Uh, MacGyver... Uh, he runs alongside the train and he jumps on. I, I I mean, I know the engineer is watching, but I would have given him like a wave or, or to let something. him know, hey, like, I boarded safely. Yeah, you can you can you can you can lay off the brake and get back to going on. And uh, so he comes into the back of the passenger car, kind of does like a hi, sorry about the hold up. And now he's <laughs> kind of like the train celebrity already because yeah. he was the one that was barely got on. And and he the conductor instantly comes to him for the ticket. Yeah. Like it's just like yeah, you better have a ticket for yeah. causing all this trouble. Uh, we're very strict here on this bare bones train. Yeah. Um, and then you know he he starts meeting random passengers on the way to the dining car, and he spends like an extremely large amount of time crafting a doll for a little girl. Yeah, there. I mean, how many characters do we have on this train? Like, almost uh, everyone has speaking lines in this yeah. whole train. It's just a it's just a small group of the actual locals people, yeah. who uh, or people who are supposed to be the indigenous people who don't have lines. But we have an American couple. Mm -hmm. We have this young girl who it's not clear where she's from. She doesn't say yeah. any words. Um, we have the mother and daughter right. who appear to be American also. Yeah, and then the doctor, the doctor, British doctor, um, and probably. then an American woman, um, uh, Andrea Collins. Yeah, who's with the State Department. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's just like there's like you know, and then we'll we'll get into other characters later even more. Yeah. We, but we got like Webster, the conductors, uh, Kramer, who's yeah. got his own like personal bunk. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just it's a really full cast. Yeah, and everyone has their own like whole story here. Mm -hmm. They they each have like a background and a, an arc and a, a resolution. Yeah, it's it's actually a lot to cram into an episode. But as a result, each of the individual subplots gets very little coverage. Yeah. I mean, the girl's story almost begins and ends with this doll being handed to mm -hmm. her. 
Um, but yeah, so he come, I think before even he sees the girl, he talks to uh, Andy and uh, Laura. And Laura. Yeah, they. Uh, she introduces them to them like it's just like a casual like hi, hi how you doing? Uh, they don't even see it. They don't say anything about where they're going or what they're up to. Yeah, it, it's just very casual like we're excited that you you're a crazy guy who got on a train. This is fun. And then just a reminder that he's like the gentle genius he sits down with this little girl and makes this doll yeah that like you said takes about two minutes because we see the entire process of it yeah it's it's it takes a while now it is important to note that we're intercutting the scenes on the train with scenes of men planting dynamite along a train trussle right and as you pointed out one yeah. of the particular shots of this bridge yeah there, there, there's a there's a, a long shot of of the length of the trussle but you can see that it's not complete yeah it's like, not even a full bridge yeah so there, there's no need to blow it up yeah it's already it's already gonna crash the train so we'll, we'll put a screenshot of that on on the on the website but yeah. yeah this is not a complete bridge so the bombs really are irrelevant to mm-hmm. the situation but what is interesting is that the, that the whole episode is actually shot on the train and the train is moving right they're they're moving it up and down these tracks for the sake of the of the show yeah it must just do a loop around the indian hills area yeah or i mean i mean like they just have to pop it in reverse Oh, uh, sure. But you would you would see if it was in reverse. So that I mean, they might they may have even just had take to, really long breaks between. Yeah, roll it back like a half hour and then have it go back. But they probably back it up full speed and then run it super slow. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, there's a uh, there's actually a, this is a weird side story, but there's actually a train like between uh, like up in Fillmore that just runs kind of back and forth, uh, and. Uh, they do like like murder mystery train th- shows. And oh, they, cool! And they just drive the train dead slow between the two towns. Uh, I think it's it's Santa Clara and Fillmore. I think sort of a like murder on the Orient Express type. Yeah, yeah. I did a, I did a thing like that over there. It was really fun. But yeah, they run it. Did they just run it super slow? Because I don't think the tracks sure. are are super active up there. And in case someone's like driving them behind you and needs to get on the train. Yeah. <laughs> if your friends show up late or something, they can get on if it's going that slow. That would be fun. I just, I, I would like to try to run onto a moving train. I think I would, I would be like to never do that in my life. <laughs> if I can avoid it, I will do that. Yeah, I, I just want like the Darjeeling Limited experience. <laughs> yeah. So back on the train, uh, MacGyver heads into the dining car. There seems to be like three cars. There's like a passenger car, dining car, and a sleeping car. Right. And then, then there's some kind of like cargo containing car, and then the engine. So it's a, it's right. a short train. Yeah. Uh, and in the dining car, this is where we're introduced to uh, Dr. Grant. And Andrea Collins. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who, who, who aren't, they don't, they don't seem to be together or conversing. Like she's yeah, kind of no. like. She's sit, it looks like she's reading a book or something yeah. at a table, and he's just sitting at the bar drinking. Yeah, standing. Yeah, like he's. he's yeah, standing, yeah. yeah. And there's a shot here, like, uh, we'll see a shot later in the episode. Um, that seems cut in out of place, but I think right. it's coming from this scene mm-hmm. before MacGyver walks into the bar car. Correct. I think MacGyver got on the train, and the train started moving again full speed, mm-hmm. and then uh, Dr. Grant has a line, oh, the engineer seems to be in a hurry. Yeah. And then that that line ended up getting moved from this scene to later on. Now, I almost wonder if there was like a, a thing that was supposed to be cut of maybe the engineer sees some of the bandits... And maybe kind of goes, mm, I better, better, better push through here yeah. a little bit faster. Or maybe he was just trying to make up the time that he'd lost by slowing down. That's true. MacGyver. Yeah, it's 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 very. We'll get to it when we get to it. But 
yeah, it's 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 very oddly cut. And it also it. feels like it would have been a good like foreshadowing to the the stumble that he has. Yeah, in this scene. Yeah. Because uh, the the train's kind of rickety and like hits like little like rough rough spots when he hits the brake or hits the accelerator, and uh, Doctor James Grant, uh, played by Warwick Sims, is uh, in this. Uh, the, the actor is not one armed. I don't believe. No. Um, but his character is, and so there's a tra- there's a moment where like the train kind of like jostles and he tries to catch himself with his missing with, arm. Right. And instantly takes like a, a short fall and kind but of MacGyver catches him yeah MacGyver catches him and, and sets him back up at the bar and uh, uh Andrea Collins is worried for him at first and mm-hmm. she's just like oh my gosh are you okay and like kind of a little bit like overbearing at least by his standards yeah and MacGyver tells him don't worry about it it's it's still new you'll get used to it mm-hmm. like because MacGyver can somehow tell that the, I mean maybe just based on the fact that he stumbled at all yeah that this is a recent injury and, mm-hmm. and he says it's only been seven weeks um and uh, you know, uh, Andrea Collins tries to make some kind of sympathetic remark, and he comes back pretty harshly. Don't cluck over me, woman. I'm a cripple. You're black. Neither is a condition for sympathy. This is definitely the most racist thing that's been said on the yeah, show so far. Um, and and the scene just kind of ends there. Like he he storms off after after leaving that comment hanging in the air. Yeah. And I mean. Uh, <laughs> then it's just this awkward moment between MacGyver and uh, Collins, which I feel like is even more uncomfortable than yeah the exchange with Doctor Grant. And it's hard for me to like accept him as like a good guy beyond this point in the episode. Yeah, it's. I mean, um, it's, it is a cultural thing too. I guess I don't know. Um, and maybe based on like the time frame. Yeah, it's 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 a rough part of the episode. And it's just awkward, and we move past it quick. Yeah, because we, I mean, I don't, even even recording this podcast, this this conversation makes me uncomfortable to the yeah. point that I don't even want to discuss it. <laughs> but, um, I mean, the the reasoning that, that she's given as, like, the, the response that she has to MacGyver after the exchange mm-hmm. is that she noticed her color a long time ago. Yeah. Which I don't even know the implication of that. Yeah, it's like... like, like how oh. is she reacting to what he said? Is mm-hmm. she offended that he's comparing these two things or is she saying yes i understand that that makes me a cripple like it just feels yeah. so weird that yeah. i don't even know where to go with it, it. it's i i don't feel it was written particularly well like yeah. this exchange it's like someone was trying to handle like some some tough content and mm-hmm. then it really gets fumbled we're trying to be edgy but we can't be too edgy so let's just accidentally be offensive <laughs> uh so from there, uh, he sits with her, and they kind of just kind of chit-chat, and this is where she kind of reveals that she, well, she doesn't kind of, she does straight up reveal that she works for the State Department, and she recognizes MacGyver's sense of fleeing urgency from some kind of uh, probably political mission or errand that uh, he must be on, and MacGyver comes clean, as he often does, truthful. Yeah. And he says that he, he has some kind of evidence about an arms deal going down, and... Uh, he says what he means, and he does what he says. Yeah. Uh, and so he he needs to get the proof out before a war, a potential small war can get started. Um. And then he just starts hitting on her. Yeah. <laughs> essentially. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much, just... like... Like yeah, it's like uh, enjoy the scenery. Like, oh, the scenery looks pretty good from here. Yeah. Um, 
again, we're cutting back and forth now between these guys setting up dynamite. We, now we have guys up on the hills who are signaling each other with mirrors. Uh, Indicating the train is approaching. Yeah. And uh, at this point on the train, Dr. Grant comes back to apologize. And he doesn't. Again, he doesn't apologize at all. He doesn't apologize. Um, he just says, I don't know what I can say. Or he says, I think I owe you an apology. Yeah. And she says, it better be really good. I accept your apology. <laughs> without him having said anything in between. Oh, yeah. And then, but then he was like, oh, let me buy you a drink or slay you a dragon. And then he swings his arm, his good arm. And because uh, his missing arm would be his bad arm, uh, in a in a, like a grand, g- <laughs> you don't know maybe maybe a missing arm is better because you can't hit people with it. Yeah, uh, he swings his arm out and accidentally hits uh, Diana Kingman in the stomach, who happened to be passing by with her mother. Right. And he goes, "Oh, I'm so sorry." You know the the, the sight of beauty often dizzies me, or yeah. something like that. And Eleanor, the mother, says, "Oh, well, the stink of liquor does the same for me." And everyone, then they leave, and everyone's kind of like, oh, if you need a dragon, I know where to find one. Yeah, like, MacGyver makes this comment about this older woman. Yeah. And it's really not fair. Like, she was in the right that this drunk Englishman was hitting on her daughter and just, like, exhaling his, like, gin exhaust in their faces. It really was not, I feel, feel, you know what, I would use the term measured response. Sure. And she says things in this episode that are meaner. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is not one of the meaner things that she says. No, I think no. this was kind of called for. Yeah, and we I should think... also mention here that this is Francis Bergen playing the part. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, who Fran... is Candace Bergen's uh, mother? Yeah, and and once you once you're aware of that fact and you see how Candace Bergen has matured and her the way she speaks now. Yeah. It's like totally see it. Yeah. You can totally see that they're the same. Um. So at this point, the train has now moved past another bandit checkpoint. Again, calling them bandits for the sake of building dramatic tension for this yeah. episode uh and they blow this horn to signal two of the men on the train already in place with guns to seize control well before they seize control of the train that we do see a little bit of a conversation between andy and laura oh that's true yeah um where essentially he's proposing to her but it seems like this isn't his first proposal mm-hmm. but it's also kind of a vague proposal well, he's the, just bringing they, up the subject again yeah and they also like give the impression that uh They've only known each other for a couple of months. Like yeah, like, like they met each other on this globe trotting yeah. tour that they're doing the, right the, now. This 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 is like the Greece, you know, summer loving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, Had me a blast. He he's he's really pushy about it, and his he like is like, love me, like like yeah. <laughs> the way he he delivers some lines is 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 kind of stalkery. Yeah, the dialogue is is. <sighs> I don't know. I wouldn't say that it's capably uh, executed, but mm-hmm. it's also not well written in the first place. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's 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 very st- awkward. Yeah. And I don't know if it could have been read in a convincing way, but it isn't. Um, and uh, this this guy that's that's playing uh, the the character of Andy. His his name is uh, Mark. Uh, I'm going to struggle with this last name because there are no vowels in it. Uh, I would say... Tim Chishin? Tim, yeah, Tim Chishin. I bet that's, that's, that seems like a good... Mark Tim Chishin. That's T-Y-M-C-H-Y-S-H-Y-N. Um, which, it seems like he's born in, in America. Mm-hmm. 
but it, he might be affecting like an Irish accent here or, or an attempt at an Irish accent. Right. It's not really clear. But apparently they met in Barcelona mm-hmm. and they've just been like going on various Train trips rides. around the world. Yeah, like they're they're making their way east. Um but he's reminding her of all these stops that they've made along the way. And and uh, the woman uh, playing uh, Laura Dillon here uh, is Carol Myers is the actress's name. And she's adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in 32 episodes of Swamp Thing. She played Tressa Kip, which is one of the major characters okay. in the show. Um, but yeah, so she's basically shooting him down, it seems like, for the third or fourth time. Yeah, it, and it's not that she doesn't seem to care for him. It's just that she feels it's too soon. And she also mentions that she went through a divorce. Um, Her parents did. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. she she says I went okay. through a divorce That's as true. a child, and which is funny because you're just like, oh, child marriage is tough though. <laughs> <laughs> and then she says, and I don't want to go through one of my own. And then you realize, oh, she went through the oh, okay. divorce that her parents had. All right, it makes more, it makes all, you know, it makes all the sense in the world now. <laughs> but yeah, so she she doesn't want to get married again because <laughs> what happened in her childhood it was really weird, um, and. Uh, and he's still forcing it on her. Yeah. But that's where they leave the conversation pretty much. Yeah, like we it's unresolved. Like like we said earlier, we're getting little snippets of all these little character arcs. Um also in, in my weird little IMDB hopscotch here, um, Mark, who plays Andy, was in uh the Gregory Hines show, which was a sitcom uh starring Gregory Hines, and uh he played basically Gregory Hines like co worker buddy mm-hmm. on the show. Um, and he was in the full series. It didn't run for very long, but he was yeah. he was a regular character on the show. Um, and uh, Tracy Reed, who's playing Andrea Collins, was uh, in Running Scared with Gregory Hines. So mm-hmm. we both of these characters, um, both of these actors, two characters from this show, have have what appeared in things with Gregory Hines. And uh, also in uh, in Running Scared with Gregory Hines uh, is Barbara Spencer from our pilot, uh, okay. Darlan Flugel. So. Um, I just thought that was interesting when I pulled it up. I was like, oh, I recognize some other MacGyver people in here. <laughs> so, but yeah, the bandits are... Yeah, the bandits are now seizing control of the train, or they they got their guns drawn, and they're saying that, that you know, everyone st- sit down, we're taking control of the train. Right. And uh, the one of the conductors, an, an, old, an older conductor, uh, comes up and tries to wrestle the gun away from him and gets sh- shot, pro- probably gut shot, in the, in the process. And... Uh, you know, like the even the bandits are kind of like taken off guard. Like, oh, we, we didn't want to do we this. We weren't trying to shoot people yet. Yeah, we're we're going to. Yeah. But not yet. Um, uh, Grant comes over and offers his his medical services to him, and you know shows that he's verifiably non-belligerent. Yeah, which I felt like was maybe the wrong phrase to use with people with a loose handle on the English language. Yeah. So, verifiably non-belligerent while like waving his stump at them to yeah. show like I can't attack you I only have one arm yeah exactly like that's how I would have said it instead of saying like I'm non-belligerent like, wait did he lose that arm in battle because he's a warrior I don't know yeah. like uh, it's is that the one-armed man from the fugitive <laughs> I know he murders people the one-armed man by the way you know who played the one-armed man in the original show no. in in the fugitive the movie oh in the movie uh it was actually uh, Andreas Katsoulis who okay. was uh, Peter Jurisic's buddy, uh, friend of the show, Peter Jurisic. Right, right. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the actor who passed away, that's so sad. Yeah. I, I don't know. I guess it would have been pretty soon after The Fugitive, right? It must have been, because... Yeah. Uh, or, you know, How uh, long did Babylon 5 run? I Babylon don't 5 ran for like like five or six years, I think. Uh, so maybe not right after that. Yeah. Somewhere but, in the 90s, though, I think. But yeah, he was, he was definitely older. Fugitive was 93. Mm. So. Well, because... Uh, 
he he was in the last episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, so that was eighty six. Okay. Or ninety six. Sorry, like ninety five, ninety six. Right. So, um, yeah. So yeah, it was probably a couple years after. Yeah. So anyway, one armed man tangent. <laughs> Which, by what... the way, every time they refer to him as Doctor Grant, I think of Jurassic Park. Yeah, I know. I was <laughs> I actually can't stop doing that. I, I was actually. I, I, that's why I started trying to say James Grant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just to. Um, because Dr. Grant is Sam Neill. Yeah, exactly. They are the same person. Yeah. Grant. Uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> Grant helps, starts helping the conductor and says he needs someone to help him because he's only got one arm. And Diana and, offers her services. Right. And the mother's like, oh, don't be foolish. <laughs> You'll only be a hindrance. <laughs> it's, such, it's just the manner of speaking of everyone in this episode is so bizarre. It's like, I'm sorry, mother, did you see any nurses on the train? Like. Yeah. He's very clearly asking for anyone's help. Exactly. Um, MacGyver then starts kind of interrogating the men, and they're like, well, we don't want to hurt anybody. He's like, oh, yeah? What do you want? It's like, justice. We're looking for two men on this train. We're going to find them and execute them. And, uh, you know, that's you know, you that's know, kind of commercial leaving. break, like, yeah, like slow zoom on MacGyver's worried face. Yeah, like, oh, they're going to kill somebody on the train. When we come back pretty much right where we left off, where the uh, the men are shouting at people and – so MacGyver starts setting up like a little bit of a, like, in the face booby trap with like he's um, he just dumps a whole salt. Yeah, shaker. there's a, just a tray that he fills with salt, and then he takes like the, like the seltzer the, bottle or yeah. soda water. And uh, when the guards start making their way, or the henchmen, henchmen, God, I can't, I keep wanting to say bandits, but I just feel it's, I don't want to say just it. Just say bandits. The bandits. Uh, when the band- if you when you chase down a trainer, you bring guns on a train and hold people hostage. You're bandits. You're bandits. All right. Uh, the bandits want to make their way to the sleeping car to make sure that they have all the passengers, and MacGyver dumps this in a totally right in your face, dumps this whole thing full of olives all over the floor. Right. Um, and as like a as a means to get him to stop so he can like pound down the and then the he seltzer. like kind of bends over a little bit. Uh huh. And then he gets sprayed. Yeah, like it's. You know, salt and soda water in the eye, which is eh, pretty bad. Yeah. And then uh, uh, Andrea Collins, taking a cue from him, just takes her cup of hot tea and throws it in the face of the other bandit, giving MacGyver time to grab a bottle of moonshine and, <laughs> and run away. Yeah. And you get this While point. Andrea Collins is just being brutally murdered, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, that would be my assumption. That, that would be the next step. If I were a bandit, these are clearly the people that are going to cause you the most trouble. Yeah, and they're the ones that I'm here for, probably. Because they yeah. don't know who they're there for yet. Yeah. I mean, we'll and find that later. You, but. The most suspicious people would be the people who are trying to get away. Yeah. Uh, everyone else who's, like, staying calm and sitting down and cooperating Yeah. seems less likely. But, yeah, so MacGyver takes this jug of moonshine and, and hops up on the roof of the car, of, like, the, the end car of this train. Um, and as he's walking along the top, he explains in voiceover that not only does this moonshine taste like kerosene or whatever does he say kerosene yeah something like yeah yeah not only does it taste like kerosene but it uh, it burns just as well or better yeah um as he's as he's just dumping a trail behind him along the roof of the car um which as the bandits catch up with him he lights on fire which basically they end up having to jump off the train because yeah like they, they, they there's don't nowhere know else to stand on the roof of this train yeah. and they can't get to the back of it fast enough and, and, and it's really like macgyver's really smart because he it's, it's like one of those things where he like he's up on top of a movie train, there's a lot of wind, and you know letting one match, it's just going to go out. But you see he actually has like a whole handful of matches. Yeah. And he's just lighting them all so that it gets a big enough 
flame that won't get blown out. Yeah, because there's a big breeze going on up here. Yeah. We're getting a reverse angle of uh, MacGyver's face as he's trying to light this fire. And uh, it's just basically him with Sky in the background. Yeah. Which and, any and anytime I see that, I, I assume it's an insert that was shot, like, back later. at the studio. Yeah. Because otherwise, like... Anytime you're on top of a train shooting, you're going to want to show to people that you're on the top of a train shooting because right. it's just visually interesting. So this reverse angle of, of his face with wind blowing is probably just a fan yeah. MOS and but he's lighting all these matches. It's not as bad as the reverse angle in Target MacGyver where he's clearly standing next to the tree branch right. and hammering on it with a rock. There's also some shots like this. Um, uh, I was just rewatching it back in Hellfire um, when uh, Nana Visitor is having like, the argument with them about who's the best and like mm -hmm. that they need to go fight this fire together. All these shots are happening in like super close up with just sky in the background. And it seems yeah. like this is all like pickups that they did later mm -hmm. on. When uh MacGyver reaches the engineer, you know, the engineer recognizes him as the guy from the car and says, yeah, you picked up a couple of bandits back there. Uh, indicates, I guess that he took care of them. Right. And the engineer says, Oh, well done. We're going to, we're going to, you know, get out of here. And he starts and he picks up speed and this is where we get that weird edit, because the last time we left Dr. James Grant... Him and, and Diana, Diana were taking care of... Yeah, the conductor. Right. And uh, and I imagine Andrea Collins was somewhere close by, because she had just thrown hot tea at a bandit's face. So I imagine she's like... Because when, now when we cut back to the train picking up speed, Grant is back at the bar with a drink, and Andrea Collins is back reading her book. Right. It's like like nothing has happened, and then Grant has this awkward line of... Oh, seeing the engineer seems to be in a hurry. It's, when like, it's like you were the one who just urged us to get medical attention as quickly yeah. as possible. It, it it was clearly the wrong insert. I don't. It, it really doesn't even need it. Like the engineer says, we can pick up speed. We don't need to show an inside shot of the train picking up speed. Yeah. Like don't even. It it's like what? Maybe well, maybe two maybe the problem was that it didn't cut nicely with whatever the next shot was, mm. and they needed to put something in between. And they were like, "Yeah, oh, we have this. We might as well." cut it off of the scene because MacGyver hasn't even entered the car yet and it's not interesting. No, I, sorry, I, I, I can't explain the logic no, yeah, like it, I, But I, it's I clear that this shot was out of place chronologically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, apparently he didn't even need to tell the engineer that there were bandits on the train that have now been taken care of because the engineer somehow knows that they're following them on foot now. Yeah. I mean, like, he, he's, he seems to be rather on the ball with the exception of not knowing MacGyver until he was in the in the car with him. Right. He's and like, the engineer oh. the engineer is played by uh, Noel D'Souza, who uh, ends up playing uh, Mahatma Gandhi on Star Trek Voyager at some point. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what episode Gandhi was in, but uh, you know they 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 do holodeck stuff and go back. Sure. In time yeah. And any number of things can happen on Voyager. Um, I do remember Amelia Earhart being in an episode. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's where she went. Yeah, that's like the whole thing is like she was abducted. Her and uh, what Frank uh, what was it the her navigator, the Lindbergh baby. The Lindbergh baby <laughs> was her navigator. <laughs> Amelia saw the whole thing. I'll take care of Amelia. <laughs> <laughs> Family guy reference. Um, so they're cruising along, and MacGyver is telling the engineer that, that, that he doesn't think that the trouble's over. And, you know, the engineer seems pretty confident that they won't be able to stop a train. Uh, I, I, it seems like a train is probably fairly easily stopped. I Especially mean, one that's only five or six cars long. Yeah, like, any kind of thing on the train tracks would probably stop it. Like, if if the bandits put, like, a car 
because obviously they had all this money for dynamite. Right. Uh, so I mean, you could just put a if you just put like a car engine on the train tracks. Yeah. That would probably be enough to to really derail that train. Yeah. Um, just a couple pennies. <laughs> a big a roll a roll a full co- roll. It would cost pennies. you fifty cents to derail a train. <laughs> What if they just what put? A <laughs> yeah. What if you you put pennies so that it's like just stack them like a staircase of pennies, oh like one God. and then two and then three and then four. Please don't derail a train like this and then blame it on me. By the way, <laughs> listeners. It's so easy though because just are so... just ramps up into the sky. <laughs> the sky train. <laughs> that would totally work. Yeah, it would. Please invent a sky train, listeners, and then blame it on me. Um. So they're they're approaching the train trestle bridge that again reminding you that is not complete anyway. Yeah. Um. But as soon as they see the train, they they blow it up. Like, uh, one of the the leader that we keep seeing flashing to the guy to, uh, with a beard, um, uh, just starts. We'll, we'll come to know him as Hassan. Hassan. Yeah. He he shoots a couple rounds up into the air to signal them to, to blow it up, and. Uh, so the MacGyver and the engineer see the bridge get blown up, and they slam on the brakes on the train and stop it. Which uh, the brake sound is really weird. Yeah, it's, it's it sounds like screams. It doesn't even sound yeah. like a train slowing down. Um, and but they got some really good shots of like the train wheels. There's a lot of they do a lot of intercuts with skidding the, and yeah. yeah, the train wheels rolling and the brakes coming down on the train wheels. Like they yeah. they got some good footage. Um, and I mean, some of it was probably soft footage, but I mean, it, 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 it went, went well. Yeah, it cuts and, in nicely. Yeah, and so now the train is stopped and the bandits start flooding around the area. I immediately thought, throw the train in reverse. Like, you, some of them might manage to get on, but the train the, will be Then it's moving. up to MacGyver to get them off of it. Yeah, yeah. like... It, it, Chances are they're not already setting up dynamite on the last bridge you went over. Exactly. Like, it, it, I... I really don't see the logic in keeping the train stopped, but uh, they do, and the uh, Hassan comes down and demands to. Uh, he wants the Westerners. He wants anyone who's Anglo-looking uh, brought out and. Which, separated. in the case of this train, is about fifteen people. Yeah, um, I mean there there are other like indigenous like Indian uh, passengers, and yeah. he separates the two. And yeah, he you know MacGyver asks where he's actually gonna take the the non-western people and uh, he says oh, Hassan tries to tells them that they'll be safe until they get what they want which is they're looking for two men who sold them bad medicine and was en- essentially poisons that killed a lot of people in the, his village what's odd is that he doesn't know what the men look like which uh, supposedly he paid these men for the medicine, or someone. Unless did. maybe his son paid them for the medicine, that's, and his that, son's not that, around. That makes too. sense because I, otherwise, like someone had to have met them, had a conversation because they there would have been like the conversation, "Can you get me medicines?" They didn't just like say, "Do you have medicine? Do you have medicine?" Like there was a process to this. But we learn in this conversation that that among the people killed by this bad medicine was his son. His son, and which, probably first because the story... he took the medicine first to show the kids that it was safe, right? To make them feel comfortable, which makes me think that this is a very slow working poison, maybe yeah. hence slow death. 
Unless uh, that's in reference to the conductor. <laughs> yeah, the conductor, who is still slowly dying. But yeah, so we learn that, that this guy's uh, major chip in this whole situation is that his his actual son was killed, which is a bitter irony for a man whose name is essentially has son, because he no longer has son. So that's rough. Yeah. Poor guy. Uh, he He's demanding the two men. He knows it's two. I mean, he knows it's at least two, and, he, and somehow he knows they're on this train. And he also knows that they were paid in gold. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's, he has all the specifics except the identity of the men. Right. And uh, so he's leaving it up to them to figure out who it is, and he won't give them any food or water until, uh, until they do it. And then we go to commercial and come back and are reminded immediately that... <laughs> they took all the food. <laughs> they took all the food and the water. It's like, yep, that's what he said they were going to do. Remember, we wa- we all watched him do it? He wasn't bluffing. <laughs> Why would he be bluffing? Uh, leaving them to deal with the ethical situation of, well, we're all going to die unless we find out these two men, but then do we have the right to turn them over to die to save our own lives? Um, some of the people seem for it. Some of the people seem like, like they're struggling with it. And while they're having this conversation in the middle of the day, we then hard cut to six hours later at night. Right, yeah. It's like... What has been happening this whole time? Yeah, exactly. Have, have they been looking for them? Like what? Or has what, the conductor just slowly been dying in the train? In, in the, the slow heat? death. Um, it, it seems very odd because like no one's, no one's engaging in the conversation anymore. Like It's like, well, what did they decide that they were going to do? We, we never got any resolution. Yeah. Um, Andy and Laura are the only ones who seem kind of... The, the, we see them awake in their car and Andy is trying to formulate some kind of escape plan with Laura trying to dissuade him. It's eh. Yeah, the escape plan is a, is a little weird. Yeah, because we again, we don't know how far they are away from anywhere. We right. we know it's it's MacGyver comes in and tells them uh that it'll be at least a week before the train's even thought of as missing. So Which seems crazy because I know we haven't seen him in a few episodes, but Pete's still around. Yeah. And, like, he still works for DXS, conceivably. Mm-hmm. So, like, someone should care that at least MacGyver's missing, let alone right. a woman who apparently works in the State Department. Like, these pe- these are people that are kept track of. Yeah, and, and MacGyver, who was sent in on an assignment for an imminent war, like, he's going to need to check in. They're going to need to know where he is yeah. and what his status is. But the implication is that a week could go by and that no one would ever even think about the fact that this train has been stopped. You know what this almost feels like? This feels like an episode earlier on. Like, this episode should have happened in, like, the first, like, four episodes. Yeah, before he was officially a part of an organization. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's still, like, a lot of, like, little MacGyverisms. He never mentions the agency that he works for. Sure. Like, it, it, it it would seem to fit more in that... Yeah, like right in between, like, the gauntlet and the heists. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Andy and and Laura kind of have their moment, and uh, MacGyver is sitting alone out on on the steps of the train, and Andrea Collins... Is it Andrea or Andrea? I always feel like I'm... I'm just going to say Andrea, because the two two that I know go by Andrea. Yeah. And so I'm just going to refer to everyone that way. Uh, she asks if MacGyver can... Even if their name's not even Andrea. <laughs> Wesley. He calls everyone Wesley. Don't know why. <laughs> I 
we're gonna leave that in that's thing uh she asks if she can join him and 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 he responds kind of like how she responded when he asked her like i was hoping you'd ask that uh and and they have like a little bit of a moment again where she's asking him why isn't he scared and he's saying lord you know he's phrasing like lord give me the strength to endure what i can or to deal with what i can and endure what i can or something like yeah that. something like that um you know he's trying to make her feel better but he's on... is that an actual like biblical phrase or is that like a paraphrasing of that psalm the grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change and change yeah. the things i can and wisdom to know the difference yeah i think i think that's probably more what you're you're thinking yeah okay i i don't honestly know uh, in the meantime, though, he's working on a. He's got like a bottle spout, and he's like, like, like crafting little holes and squeezing down the middle to make uh, a dog, essentially a dog whistle, but base just a high pitched whistle to irritate any animals that might be nearby. Which all the riders have horses, uh, and maybe at, which it might come in handy. Sure. And, uh, Which I, I looked up the uh, the hearing ranges of different species to see how this would affect like a horse in terms of like if it were an actual dog whistle, mm-hmm. and I think a dog whistle is usually higher pitched than a horse can hear, mm-hmm. but a horse can hear higher pitched than a human can. So okay. if he's pitched it down enough, then it would be able it would be audible to a horse, but not to a human. Okay, uh, and at the very least, what we're getting here is the beginnings of a plan that MacGyver has, potential escape plan. Like he he's building the tools that he might need if he's gonna make a run at something or someone. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, MacGyver isn't being passive this episode, although it kind of seems like he is, because he's not actively seeking out these men. He's not uh, trying to. He's negotiate. not MacGyvering anything. Yeah, he he's just kind of like waiting it out. Is this whistle the only thing that he really makes? Well, he, in the well, he makes the he'll make the the polygraph. Oh, that's Later. true. Yeah. Uh, it's a lie detector. And I, I guess the the uh, seltzer salt thing is kind of a MacGyver yeah. thing a little bit. Oh, you know what we didn't mention? When the train stopped, he hardwires the, yeah, uh, he the rigs, generator. Yeah, he rigs it so that no one can actually take control of the train to move mm-hmm. it in either direction um, without first disabling this... Uh, obvious it's the most obvious trap i've ever seen it's it's almost as obvious as all the wires for deathlock that he had strung all over yeah, the yeah. room but like it's just he basically he takes this green wire that we're assuming is plugged directly into like whatever their electrical system is yeah, yeah. It's a diesel generator. he strips it and then wraps the copper just just wraps it around the mm. the switch to to throw the engine back on but it would be impossible to miss. Yeah. The wire leading up to the switch is bright green, and it would take zero seconds to undo. You just take the green wire and just yank it off. And and, and, and here's this circuit box with, like, rusted, dark-colored metal, and here's brand-new, fresh, uncovered copper right. wrapped around it. Not and only that, but in order to put the switch back up, you'd be holding on to the, like, rubber handle yeah. to plug it back in. But... um. I, it could be considered a MacGyverism, I'll, but I hesitate to use that word for something so yeah. idiotic. Yeah, it, it it really didn't make sense, but uh, that's what he does. Yeah. <laughs> um. So 
at th- at this moment, like you know, uh, Hassan kind of comes up and tells the story of of his son to MacGyver and some of the other people who have who have died, claiming that God struck him for his pride, and uh, you know, gets kind of just re- reasserts the find the find the men who killed who did this MacGyver, and uh, the he actually wins over. Uh, Andrea's sympathy. Yeah. Because he, and he goes further in detail about the children who were killed that, like, he lost his son, someone else, one of the other bandits lost a brother. Yeah. There was a woman from his village that lost three children. Yeah. And he says one of them wasn't even old enough to walk. And then he completely contradicts that by saying that she wasn't much younger than the girl on the train that he made the doll for. Like the six-year-old girl that's there. Yeah, and it's like, how old was this kid that couldn't walk yet? (laughs) I forgot to tell you, she was a Born with no legs, but... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Then it just kind of like cuts back to mourning, and MacGyver kind of makes this really awkward speech. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, him and, and Andrea apparently didn't sleep. Right. They sat here on this on this sort of the steps of the train car and just watched the sunset and then rise. Mm-hmm. And he he turns to her and says, "A new day, new beginnings." Yeah. And and I'm a sucker for sunrises or something. Yeah, like sucker that. for mornings. I'm a sucker for mornings. And it's like, what? It, it doesn't just. The line doesn't bother me as much as the delivery actually. Yeah. He says like, "I'm a sucker for mornings." And he's got this weird smile on his face. Yeah. It just doesn't it doesn't go right. And uh from here we see that Andy has now woken up earlier before everyone else and is going to enact you know, going to start his plan of escape. Which the first part of his plan was to to climb underneath the cars to right. get to a place where it wasn't like guarded right next to him. And then to run just run away from the train on the side where all the bandits are. Yeah. It, instead of on the other side. I know he had mentioned earlier trying to steal a horse, but it didn't really seem like he was fulfilling any of those goals. Right. Um, and he doesn't make it far anyway because Kramer, one of the other passengers, sees him and... Starts shouting after him immediately. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, what are you doing? What are you going? And But it seems like the bandits would have noticed. Yeah, I, I don't think he would have gotten Regardless of Kramer's far. announcement. Um... And they immediately swarm on him, and MacGyver rushes out with his whistle, trying to yell, "Don't shoot! Don't shoot him!" And he, when he, you know, he blows the whistle, which causes Hassan's horse to rear up, and basically, I guess, just keep him from shooting more. Yeah. And uh, and then there's a confusing line from Webster here, after they they catch Andy and they're bringing him back to the train. Webster says, "Um, yeah, it might have worked if if Brother Kramer here hadn't blown the whistle yeah. on you, because." We don't know this character's name is Kramer yet. This is the first time anyone's calling him exactly. Kramer. And so when he says Brother Kramer, it almost sounds like it's a nickname for MacGyver because we just saw MacGyver blow a literal whistle yeah. and then walk him back to the train. But he's referring to this other gentleman. Yeah. And uh, so they ask to search him, and then they search his compartment, which earlier we had seen him hide a briefcase underneath his, his bed. Yeah. And so when they go into the compartment, there's this really great moment where they find the briefcase and he tries to get it back, and Hassan just slaps, slaps his, hand his away. hands away. Yeah. And they open the briefcase, and lo and behold, it is full of cash money. Right. Uh, and, like, 
he tries to say it's my it is my money but i i, I swear i didn't do it and Hassan's i was just like, worried you were gonna take it yeah and it's says it's paper we paid in gold but this is where we're first learning that so as far as we knew this is the guy it's it's sealed yeah. this is he's in trouble now mm-hmm. but hassan seems to be under the the impression that paper money cannot be exchanged for gold money and yeah, vice versa it, it's that would be like the first thing I did if I just had a pile of gold. It's just like, I better figure out a way to get this out of here more conveniently than carrying 90 pounds of gold. Yeah. I better convert it to something lighter. It's like gold case. That, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's 30, the one. The 30 Rock game show. Yeah, that that's it. There it is. <laughs> oh, gold is heavy. <laughs> um, Who have you told this show to? I pitched it to Moonvest over at CBS. <laughs> Give me a fingernails. No. <laughs> have i told you my theory on moon vest the crescent shapes yeah that he's just obsessed with crescent shapes and that's why he wants the fingernails <laughs> because he's got a vest covered in crescent moons that's my theory and kenneth just goes over there every day and talks to him <laughs> and he's just standing out in front of cbs so yeah it's 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 very odd that they he couldn't make at least put him on the suspect list put kramer on the suspect list he's carrying a lot of money he maybe converted the gold to money. Let's put him aside. Right. But, uh, right now, he's your number one suspect. Yeah, exactly. And Him but, and maybe Andy. Yeah. Who, going back to Andy's escape plan, can I just say that Andy seems like a worthless coward? Like, he's proposing to this woman. He wants to marry her and everything. Mm-hmm. But it seems like he's just running away on his own. Like you said, they they have no idea which direction civilization is in. So he's probably going to die in the wilderness if he successfully escapes here. They saved his life by blowing the whistle on him. Yeah. But but he runs off, and somehow Laura interprets this as, he really loves me. He was Mm -hmm. trying to be a hero. And it's like, oh, you ran away because I was scared. And the logic of that makes no sense to me. You ran away because... You were scared. Yeah, I I ran away because I was scared. The fact that you were scared is irrelevant because I left you on a train in like full of strangers in the hands of bandits who plan on killing Westerners. And there's no chance that I would have gotten back before you all would have uh, dehydrated to death. And essentially, by turning down my multiple proposals, I am not obligated to come back anyway. Yeah, it's true that you don't really care. Wow, we're really we're really digging it hard to Andy here. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Mark. Yeah. It's not you, it's Andy. Uh, I don't know if you want to go back for a moment. Uh, we didn't talk about how Dr. Grant lost his arm. Oh, that was before this point. Yeah. That That's that's like as the sun's setting and, and mm-hmm. uh, they're still taking care of him and Diana are taking care of the, the wounded engineer. Yeah. Which, which like, earlier he had told her to keep him warm. But now in this scene, he's, she's taken off his clothes. Yeah. And and now just has him under a blanket without a shirt on. It's like, yeah. You're doing the opposite. You're doing the exact opposite of what. Well, I asked if you he's to do. shot in the gut, it's it would be difficult to treat. I think through a shirt. But yeah. still, it seems it seems counterintuitive to take the clothes off of the guy that you're trying to keep warm. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so he comes back to check on her and see how the engineer's doing. The doctor does. Mm-hmm. Um. And he sits down, and complains about some phantom tickling in his fingers or something like that like yeah. some kind of a phantom pain in his fingers which i mean people who lose limbs often complain about they they feel this pain in the limb that's right. not there anymore and so there's nothing that you could do about it really 
Um, and it's just a matter of like the nerve endings having been severed. Severed, yeah. Um, but uh, so he complains about it a little bit, and she wants to know what happened. I mean, anytime you know, in this situation, you'd want to know what happened to a yeah. person's arm if you know that they lost it recently. And uh, and so she she says, "Would it be terrible if I asked you, you know, what exactly happened?" And his his preface to the story is what bothers me. Yeah. The preface to the story is, "Oh, it was stupid." And then he goes on to explain that. He was performing a surgery when a maniac kicked open the doors of the operating room with, with a, sh- a sawed-off shotgun yeah. and shot him in the arm, and his arm was disintegrated by the blast. <laughs> so stupid. Apparently no one else was hurt, but it just seems like the maybe the wrong wording to be like, oh, it was stupid. Like when you When you start the story like that, it makes me think, you did something like... A simple mistake that was very unfortunate that caused you to lose your arm. I was trying to juggle a chainsaw. Yeah, I, I, it was really dumb. I fell on a table saw. I, I closed it in a door. I was trying to get something out of an elevator, (laughs) and and you don't follow up with, oh, it was dumb. A maniac blew it off with a shotgun. Yeah, it's like that doesn't compute. That that that's a crazy story. Yeah, that's not dumb. That's amazing. Yeah, and you also saved everyone in the room in Uh, addition to losing your arm. I hope you got a very good severance package. Severance. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't on purpose, really? That was not. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing, though. Uh, I would almost hesitate to tell him it was a severance package on the way out. <laughs> like, here's your... Uh, this uh, is a retirement package? <laughs> I don't want to say it. <laughs> Let me give you a hand. Damn uh, it. <laughs> Hassan looks at Kramer, who's got the suitcase full of money, and says, uh, this guy's no doubt a, a thief and a liar, but he's not the man we're looking for. Right. Um, and, and that's that, the The triggers, light bulb over MacGyver's head. Yeah. Of, you know, maybe uh, maybe a liar is what we're looking for. Right? Yeah. Um, and uh, MacGyver comes up with a plan to use some of the doctor's medical equipment to make a polygraph. Right. Um, really simple. Like, he's... The, the basic concept is that he's got the blood pressure monitor to monitor the blood pressure, which is unrelated. But he's also rigged up some wires to their like their chest and a couple different places on their body that if they start to sweat, uh, they'll create complete a, a circuit to yeah. an alarm clock, mm-hmm. which the alarm has been set to like the exact time that it's supposed to go off. Yeah. <laughs> so that way, as soon as someone lies, the alarm goes off on the on the clock. Right. And. Uh, so he has to keep, has to keep constantly adjusting right. the, the, the time. time. Uh, and uh, they they practice first on Andy, telling him like, "Did you try to escape?" And he says, "No." And uh, of course, it sets it off to try yeah. to like give, give give the impression that this is working. Um, and uh, now, an actual polygraph test would use like it would have like a monitor of the of the heart rate mm-hmm. that would like. Typically, it would spike. Like right. the, uh, MacGyver's thing is just measuring perspiration, really. And, well, I mean, he's got the blood pressure monitor too to show, like. But like, really, what sets off a polygraph is any spike in blood pressure or like a, an extreme reaction from a person. Mm-hmm. Which is why when he says, "Did you sell the medicine? Did you sell these people bad medicine?" and he says, "No, I didn't." Okay, like he freaks out about it. Yeah, that would totally set off a polygraph test yeah. that he was lying. You're, you're supposed to answer these questions calmly calmly. and 
yeah. because they're 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 monitoring for minute changes, which is one of the reasons that these things are inadmissible. Right. Is like they they they're dependent on very kind of thing varying kind of things. It's it's suspicious evidence, yeah. but it's not evidence. And like you had pointed out when we were watching it, that the, typically the results will show the exact opposite of of the the correct reading in the case of a sociopath taking the test. Yeah. Which I don't know what better way you can define a sociopath than a person who would sell poison to children as yeah, medicine. Yeah, exactly, and and take money for it. I mean, there's there's clearly some some lack of emotion going on here. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so you know, he he shows it to Hassan. This is what he's got, and he won't do it. MacGyver will not test anybody else uh, until he gets Hassan's word that if they find the men that they won't kill him here that they'll take him to the, the Rajmir to stand trial uh, and Hassan reluctantly agrees like yeah. okay I see what you're doing we'll do it we'll do it your way but still find the men yeah and Webster uh, is like you know Psh, you're just gonna take his word for it um and uh, you know MacGyver, MacGyver does MacGyver takes people at their word yeah and which gets him into trouble now and then uh, next episode next uh, episode yeah <laughs> and uh, uh, so he says well Webster I guess you just volunteered to go next and and what is the moment Webster sits down it's almost like a slosh of yeah. water it's just like <sighs> yeah he's just, he's just dripping, dripping with sweat <laughs> Uh, you pointed out it's like airplane level <laughs> yeah, perspiration. It's just just coming off of him in like like they sprayed him down before this. Yeah. Um, There's no way that the alarm's not already going off. Yeah, the exactly. Down. Um, I mean that's a, that's part of the com the not to say the comedy of the scene, but the drama is that MacGyver asks him the question and he never even answers. You just see his blood pressure go up and then this the whole alarm. thing could have been a placebo and and. MacGyver's just completing the circuit under the table like he's because he knows who's lying and who's telling the truth by just looking at them. Yeah. Which one of these people is lying? The guy yeah. constantly like wringing out a cloth. And um, the guy and Webster, who by the way has been pointing the finger at other people along this whole ride. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. He's not doing himself any favors in the suspicion department. Um, and so like the alarm goes off clearly, and Webster. This is this is like the first moment we learn a lot a lot of stuff here. Is Webster yells "blade," and I was just like, "What did he just say?" Yeah. And that's when the other conductor, the younger one, whose said, name is evidently Blade, Blade, <laughs> Blade the conductor, right? Um, you know, says, "Jared, I thought you said you could handle it." And he says, "Well, I can't." And like he, he uh, Blade had a gun on him this whole time. Both of them did, right? Uh, I think no, I think it was just Blade because then because then Webster takes the gun from oh, okay. Blade and Hassan tries to rush him and he fires at Hassan but doesn't hit him he hits, well hits him in like the wrist or the arm um, but and it's only enough to kind of like knock him forward into Blade while Webster makes a run for it right and uh, and so like MacGyver's giving chase and they head up to the engine car before we get uh, too far down that path I, I just want to bring up a, a point earlier um, Hassan says uh, when MacGyver asks him, "What are you going to do with these men?" and he says, "We're we're going to kill them because that's what they did to us. They we're going to make them take their own poison." And then someone says, "Oh, you're going to kill them?" And then he says, "No, they're going to kill themselves. That's justice." And then MacGyver says, "That's not justice. That's murder." Yeah. And so now we have Webster running up to the the engine, and MacGyver's like hot 
on his heels, like mm-hmm. trying to yeah. chase him down. Yeah, Even though fight, MacGyver's yeah. unarmed and yeah, and, and Webster takes a couple of shots at him. Yeah. Um, he MacGyver tries to do this tricky distraction thing by throwing his shoes up on like up onto the car to like to give the impression maybe he's up on the roof. Right. While he tiptoes into the car, but it doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work at all. Yeah. He gets clocked in the face immediately. Yeah, right, right at the side of the head. Yeah. And you know, MacGyver is telling you know Webster, don't don't turn on these circuits. I got them rigged. Clearly. <laughs> yeah, you if you take one look at them and you and you definitely would at least look at it if someone told you that. Yeah, and and one how does Webster know how to start a diesel train? Yeah. He, is it requires it, more buttons than Quail's machine guns. Yeah, it's it, it, I mean, I, he could just be just trying everything yeah. to figure out how to get the train to start up. But even again, once the train starts up, how do you know how to put it in reverse? There's a lot to a train. Yeah. You know, engineers aren't just just idiots who sit at a steering wheel, although some of them are nowadays. But um, no offense to our engineer listeners. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Come on, Richard. Sorry, sorry that Metrolink texting crash still bothers me. Um, uh, but yeah, there, there's some skill that's involved in operating a train, and Webster doesn't seem to be the kind of person who has those skills. But and clearly he doesn't know anything about electricity because he ignores. All these wire is wire and attached. a verbal warning yeah. from MacGyver, which he responds to with, "Oh, maybe I ought to take your own lie detector, detector test, MacGyver. MacGyver." And then he grabs a switch Don't that's wrapped it. in electrical wire and yeah. throws it. And all the circuits explode, and he's blown out. I mean, I guess you could argue the explosion killed him. I I don't know. I'm, I don't know how the electricity is getting to his body because he's holding onto a rubber or plastic handle yeah. on this switch. Um, um, unless he's making contact with the board when he puts his hand up against or, it. Or it, maybe it arcs to him yeah. from the overload. But either circuit. way, he essentially kills himself with the yeah. tool that MacGyver made, which yeah. is exactly what he earlier called murder. Yeah, exactly. Like, he will kill himself. Yeah, I didn't kill him. He killed himself. Actions. So it's it's not my fault. He killed himself. And it's yeah. like, well, you made him kill himself. Just yeah. like they were going to make someone kill themselves. Had you not wired the circuit he would be alive yeah i mean you can just you can look at it and say well i told him not to do it and he did it anyway but you set that trap to kill a person how about what else was that trap for exactly exactly why not just disable the train yeah like if if that's your concern is them stealing the train disable it in such a way that it can't be started at all and why do you care so much about them stealing the train yeah like are you just worried about the train going off the edge of this blown up bridge now or 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 them throwing it in reverse and going back to where you came from like yeah I, what, the the trap was set to kill the next person who touched it that wasn't exactly. him or the or the engineer and it worked yeah so congratulations macgyver you're yeah. a murderer yeah it's it's very strange but uh, this is going to get added to a montage i'll put together of, of, of people villains MacGyver. accidentally killing themselves <laughs> over the, the result course of, of the MacGyver's season. plan yeah to kill someone <laughs> Well, I think Narai kills himself by himself, really. Yeah, that's true. That's um, true. But we do have a couple more later in the season and, and others earlier where a villain's death is completely avoidable. And mm-hmm. and to to keep MacGyver pure, we see the villain kill himself on accident. Yeah. Uh, you know, so from here, the, we they find the gold. And Blade is unarmed and has presumably, when... Webster and MacGyver left was apprehended by the people right. on the train car. Right, because yeah, he doesn't have a gun anymore, and uh, they find the gold, 
uh, Hassan asks uh, Doctor Grant to buy medicines. And, right. And Grant's all like, "Well, yeah, medicines well, are medicine's great." Medicines great, but it's not magic. Like you, it doesn't just automatically make you better. You have to have a doctor applying the stuff. Yeah. And uh, that's when like MacGyver is like, "Oh, I think he's got that figured out." And it's like, "You're gonna be the doctor." Or else, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's kind of an ultimatum, really, because uh, uh, I still feel that he could practice medicine. I mean, can you not practice medicine at all if you have one arm? Like, can you not be like a pediatrician or or a general practitioner if you only have one arm? I, I don't still know. feel that you could. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there's still a lot of things he would be able to do. Yeah, he teach. Yeah. Like the I. You. I, I mean, you can't be a surgeon anymore, probably. Probably yes. But uh, I still feel he's still a viable. He's got an education. Yeah, he went to medical school, so mm-hmm. he's got he's got medical knowledge that's useful to these people. Yeah, and now he's going to be a bush doctor essentially. Yeah, but now he decides that um, that he couldn't do it by himself, and essentially Diana is volunteering herself as yeah. a, as a completely untrained nurse. Yeah, I mean, I know she, we had her little speech about it, she wanted to be useful. Right. Um, but this just seems so odd, and then. Where now the mother, who's been so overbearing... Is suddenly fine. Yeah, suddenly... And, and suddenly I'm the one who thinks Diana is a hindrance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the mom the mom was right all along. Okay, now can you use this syringe and just... Oh, no, not there! Okay. Oh, yes. uh, I should right. have... Let's get another kid in here. You're, you're not trained at all. <laughs> um, uh, that... The actress, by the way, who plays um, Diane is uh, Pamela Roylance, who... Um, Actually, the first thing uh, from her IMDb that jumped out to me was was her literally her first credit, which was she was the coach in Slumber Party Massacre, the yeah. original one. So I just thought that was funny. Uh, what year was Slumber Party Massacre? Not to put you on. Uh, I think it's curious. early '80s. I think '81 okay. or '82. And speaking of Pamela Roylance, I actually had a chance to speak with her regarding this episode. So why don't I play that for you now? To begin, uh, first of all, I just wanted to thank you so much for speaking with us today. Oh, you're very welcome. My pleasure. So how did you begin your acting career? Oh, gosh. You know what? I was living up in Portland, Oregon with my family, and I was always interested in movies and theater and acting, and I started my first play when I was in the sixth grade. I got into my first play, and it was right there at my school, and I played the part of a boy. It was our social studies class, and we were doing... um, uh, a story that uh, my teacher had written about the Mayan sun god. Oh, it was an original work. Was playing, it was an original piece, yeah, and I was playing a boy. And my dad said that I prompted everyone else right on stage. I just told them what their lines were when they forgot. <laughs> and that was my first kickoff. And then I stayed with it through my high school studies, my college studies, and I started doing local theater, of course, and I did some industrial films and uh, educational films, and I did some local commercials up in Portland, and by that time I was teaching high school, and I sort of knew by then that it was time to move on to a bigger market where I would get more work, Sure. and we didn't have as much um, in the local shooting or regional shooting as we do now. Pretty much now you can go to any major city and get a lot of work that comes through town Yeah. or a lot of work that they do, yeah. And Portland's picking up a lot now. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Last year, shooting three things, I think, up there, a TV series. So, yeah, it's becoming a very, very good thing. All of my friends were guest starring on Grimm, 
up in Portland oh, okay. over the last few years where I wasn't getting very much work down here at all. So sure. it's, it's funny how it fluctuates, but but I'm happy to be down here and uh, you know, it's been tough, but it's certainly been worth it. Did you audition for MacGyver? I did, yeah. It was just a standard audition. I think Pam Palafrani might have been the casting director on that, and it was just a standard audition. And uh, I think... Gosh, I don't even know. Do you remember what year this was? Was it? 86? This was eighty-five or eighty-six when they were shooting. Yeah, that sounds right. And so by then, I'd already done a year on Little House on the Prairie and a year on Days of Our Lives. So I was still getting quite a bit of work just based on the success of those two series. Sure. So I had quite a few uh, guest starring and co-starring roles, like this one in MacGyver, where you just go in and do your one-time episode, but. <clears throat> It was, it was always great. And, of course, as life would have it, when I booked this episode, at the same time I booked, I want to say it was a Hallmark commercial. Okay. And it was really big. And I booked them simultaneously. And I don't know how I even got out of it. But I had to say no on the Hallmark commercial. Oh, they were at the same, the same shooting time. Yeah, they were the very same day. And I, I think I must have had the booking come in that day. So we were able to call back for both bookings. So I was able to call back and say, oh, gosh, I made a mistake. I've already booked something, and I found out it's shooting that day. So they let me off the hook. But the sad thing was we were, I was on the set for 12 hours that day in my trailer the whole day. I never got called to the set. Oh, no. They never got to me. Yeah. And I could have actually done both jobs. I could have shot a commercial, gotten back, and still not been needed. Yeah. So – it was the scene where they were. They had all of the uh, people on the train were brought off the train, and they sent away the locals, and they just had all of the, the Westerners, I think they called them. Yeah. And, but I'm not needed because I stay inside the train with the wounded conductor. Right. So that, it took the whole day. Oh, man. And, of course, as life would have it, we were out in Valencia, California, and the Magic Mountain sign was in the background, which they discovered later. Oh, <laughs> so, no. They there ended up having to cut around hours. it. They did. And hours and hours of shooting that they didn't use because they had to just retake. I mean, they discovered it that day, and they were retaking it that day. Sure. It was quite the nightmare for them. How long was the shoot for, for your entire participation of it? You know what? I'm trying to think back. I think a regular one-hour filmed episode in that, at that time would take seven working days. And usually you would have to go over a weekend, so so your seven working days kind of became a standard ten day episode for a shoot. Yeah. So, but I know we went way over that. I want to say we were twelve <laughs> days, because you know this director. I I didn't, I didn't want to say anything negative. He's a very nice man, sure. and he had a lot of credit to him. Um, but there were some issues there, <laughs> and the a lot was belabored. A lot went on and on and on. And we were so far behind. In fact, this is um, expensive far behind where it's costing the production company money sure. for this. And he had, he was up in his years at that point uh, and just had some health things, I think, going on. Oh, okay. kind of kept him from being very on point with this. And I kind of got this through another actress on the set who knew him very well and had worked with him in the past. And, you know, she was telling me a little bit about his history, and she, she was not surprised that this was going so far. 
over schedule. Yeah. And then the weird thing, when it all came down at the end of the day, I think it was eight minutes short. I think it was eight minutes under. Oh, wow. So they brought, yeah, isn't that weird? They brought Warwick and I, who played the doctor, they brought us back and they um, had us do this special insert scene. Oh, okay. I, I, th- I know and the scene you mean, yeah. Do you? Where he explains <laughs> how he lost his arm and everything. Yes. Yes. Because you can kind of tell, right? Well, it it would. It's the only scene that I can see them taking out without it confusing the story. Right, exactly, and that's why because it wasn't there anyway, and it was brought back in. And you can even originally in the original cut of it, you could see the lighting change and hear the sound change. Now, uh, just to brush up on it, I I watched it the other night by way of Netflix. Yeah, and I couldn't see that much of a difference or that noticeable of a difference. No, it definitely, I think it matches the way it is now. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised, but when I first saw it air, I went, Oh my gosh, you can tell that's an insert. And, and also you can tell, cause I believe originally when we did that scene before we did the add on, you can tell the, co- the conductors right there laying down, sleeping or in a coma yeah. laying there. Cause we've been doctoring him. And then you can tell that he, Whereas you could see his face a little bit and mine and Warwick's in this insert scene, he's not even there. So it's oh, wow. completely, uh, yeah, and you, it's, it's cut well and framed well so that you really, you can believe that we're just not seeing him because we're shooting a little tighter yeah. or closer up on the two of us. So, yeah, they added that whole thing and picked up the time. I don't know if they picked up time in other places because I never timed to see if it was an eight-minute um, scene that we did. I don't know. It's possible. There there are a couple other scenes that I can think of that, that might have been plugged in later, but they, they all make use mm-hmm. of larger portions of the cast. It seems like it would have been harder to go back and do later. But, yeah, yeah that that's really interesting. W- was the set that you guys were working on, I mean, it was an actual functional train. Was it just doing loops, or would they back it up between setups? Oh, gosh, good question. That's out of my memory, because I think I, I saw it go backward, I think I recall that. I don't remember the, us seeing like a loop situation out there where it could do that. It seems to me it was a backup thing. So they would just run maybe, it for a while while they were shooting and then back the train up. And Yeah, I, I think so. Maybe that's what took us so long to do it. But, you know, that, now that you mention it, it's a train that's really, it was built to do that. It, it was, A lot of filming went on out there using that train. Yeah. And it was just for, I think it was just for filming purposes. Yeah. So... I think now yeah, it's all I, farmland, but at the time it was it was used predominantly for for filming. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the backup thing. Okay, um, were, were had you seen the show at all before you went into production on this episode? Or I, yeah, I had, and I was familiar, of course, with with Ricky Dean was so well known and popular and such a nice man. I, I you know you go in wondering what you're going to be up against, but. I think he was the only series regular, right, on the show? Um, at, at this point, yeah, he was pretty much the only series regular. Yeah, so you you didn't know. So everybody was a guest to each other. Sometimes that's the loneliest uh, job is to be the guest artist because you come into an ensemble set. Yeah, it's like and a family. And... It is, yeah. And they're writing for those families now, so... They don't really, the guest is almost not featured like it always was on Hotel, uh, Fantasy Island, um, all of those shows that are of the same 
format where you bring in your guest stars and usually heavy hitter guest stars. Yeah. Uh, so now you kind of the guests are not really focused on it's still that family situation. So you can go into a set and feel pretty ignored and spend your day sort of by yourself. But with him, he was accessible to everyone. He did not sit in his air-conditioned trailer, and it was hot out there. Yeah. And, yeah, a good desert hot sort of thing. And he would hang out. I can, I've got pictures of him just lying there with, with his legs stretched out, crossed over each other, and propped up on an elbow sitting underneath a, the tr- uh, shade of a truck <laughs> and just, you know, like laying there. And, and any of us could go up and talk to him or take photos or anything that might have been foreboding elsewhere, but... He just welcomed all of that, and he was he was a guy who really enjoyed having a fun time and making everyone feel comfortable. And so it was a it was a nice set. It was a happy set, I thought. That's been the most consistent note that we've heard from from these interviews oh. is how how approachable and how fun Ricky Dean was on set. Oh yeah, he really was. Um, what was it like working alongside Francis Bergen? That was my favorite. That yeah. was my very favorite part, honestly. Um, of course, I had really enjoyed Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy growing up, and I had really enjoyed Candace Bergen's work, and I, I always followed, you know, what she did. So when I had a chance to meet her mother, I just was so excited. And then when I was chosen to play her daughter, yeah, I was thrilled. You know? You're essentially Candace looking, Bergen for this episode. I know. I thought that. I kept looking at pictures of Candace Bergen and myself and thinking. Really? Are we a match? And, I, and but I guess you know it was close enough. And she was so delightful. And I don't know if anybody else mentioned this, but at the end of the shoot, and again these were long days, but at the end of each evening that she worked, and we would, I think we were all out there pretty much together all the time. We would go off to this little tiny cafe in the middle of the desert out there, and I think it was called the Blue Moon Cafe. Okay. And there, there was a piano and a piano player, and we would go out several nights. We did this, that I remember, and she would sing old forties tunes. Oh wow! And oh, it was it was a piece of heaven. It was just the most incredible experience to share that with her, and you know, and we would all sing. But it seemed to me she sang well, or certainly she knew all the words to the songs. Sure. So yeah, it was a real nice step back in time, and the cafe was one of those quiet little. It was set up to have a lounge, a thing to do open mic and stuff like that, and it was just not too busy. So it was kind of a lot of times just us and private and fun. And and I think on the nights when she had been dismissed early or when she wasn't going to stay, it just wasn't worth going out there. Sure. It wasn't the same. And she was, she was really the hit. <clears throat> and she was always a professional and... And, you know, there's certainly in many of those scenes, scenes, people are standing outside. Like the whole day I missed, I sat in the cold uh, air-conditioned trailer, and they were outside in full wardrobe, you know, the women's suits, hosiery and everything. And then the guys were fully dressed with jackets and stuff sometimes. And they had to be pretty pretty warm out there, but never, I, I never heard a complaint from her at all. Yeah, that that sounds like that would that would have been fun going to the, the blue moon every night. Yeah, there was a TV Guide article that that sort of chronicled the shooting of this episode, and uh, they made mention of an incident wherein uh, Richard Dean Anderson essentially like opened the throttle on the train and and wrecked the engine, and they had to like shut down for a while. I was I was curious if you recalled that incident. 
I don't even know that. I didn't. This is new trivia to me. How fascinating! I think he he was kind of showing off a bit with the with the journalist that was on yeah. set, and uh, he he got to control the train for a minute and it was long enough for him to like just open it up too much and and they had to shut things down for a while and work on the engine well maybe that's why we were so over over schedule <laughs> <laughs> that's possible i don't know if this was the same day yeah i mean it was an old train it was like a 1939 train so yeah now didn't they let him do a lot of his own stunt work as i recall yeah i think early early in the show uh, definitely in this first mm-hmm. season he did do a lot of his own stunts yeah you can tell he loved it he really enjoyed what he was doing yeah. and maybe as you say it was early enough on uh, and i could see why you'd need to be a little protective later on in in a season when a star gains popularity and everything you'd want to protect him more but i'm sure he must have missed that part yeah he does spend three episodes in this in this season wearing a cast on his arm so oh, no. so yeah <laughs> it's a different excuse for each episode i guess so that's funny <laughs> <laughs> Um, over the course of your acting career, what have been some of your favorite experiences? Well, Little House on the Prairie was my first favorite, and, and maybe even my all-time, because when I was living in Portland, I decided I wanted to move to L.A. and either be on The Waltons, Eight is Enough, which was popular at that time, and anything Walt Disney or Little House on the Prairie. Those were the shows I thought my brand would match, and I felt that that's what I wanted. So it was my first experience here was doing Slumber Party Massacre, a yeah. movie, which was, you know, completely off the record for what I was shooting for. But it was a great experience, my first feature film. And and it's developed kind of a cult following, too. It has. Isn't that strange? Yeah. <laughs> that something would live this long <laughs> um, <laughs> and still have momentum. But... I think this was the next big thing that came was Little House. And I was a little overweight. I was working in a chocolate factory. And for me, it was pack a box, eat a box, pack a box, <laughs> eat a box. <laughs> that was my motto. It's like an I and Love Lucy episode. Really exactly that. Although that's not really what we were doing. We were just making phone sales, importing this chocolate from Finland and selling it to the markets we were already in. So yeah. it was really not like that. But our our boss loved actors, and he would hire a lot of actors, so we could come and go for auditions or jobs. Oh, that's and always nice. have this job. Oh, it was so charming. It was really a gem. So uh, Michael said, you're going to have to lose some weight. And um, that was not my first crack at this. It was Days of Our Lives. The very part I got after I ended up off of uh, Little House, I got that same part on Days of Our Lives that I auditioned for before Little House audition. Huh. And that casting director called my agent and said, she's uh, great. She's just going to have to lose a little bit. Of, or she's going to have to lose. No, no, I'm sorry. He said, she's terrific. It's a shame she's so fat. And, oh. you know, you're shooting for ingenue roles and you can't be overweight. And I was I was a stocky athletic overweight. It's kind of like what I weighed in uh, Slumber Party Massacre. When you see that, you, you know, you see a stocky gym coach. Okay. Um, and I'm tall. So... You know, and I'll never be petite. I'll never have tiny feet or tiny hands or anything like that. So (laughs) I was competing for these roles, but not really fitting what was required. So I was devastated, and I thought, I hate this town. I hate these people, and I hate that you have to be a trophy-looking wife to get anywhere in this town. 
But again, I was in that age category. Sure. So my agent, he really read me the riot act and told me I had to lose this weight. And I, I didn't do anything about it because I was just so angry at being told I had to. And so for four months, there was no change. And then the Little House audition came up, and then the stakes were a little bit higher. Something I really wanted. It was a goal of mine. Yeah, this was on your short list. Yeah, it was. So I called my parents and asked if they would front me some money so I could quit my job at the chocolate factory. And the the hours I spent at the chocolate factory, I started walking around Lake Balboa, which is a large um, park area. Sure. And I joined a gym, and I would work out at the gym. So I'd spend eight hours moving my body and dieting at the same time. And I had some lovely roommates at the time who took me shopping, and we bought a dress that cinched up at the waist, and it looked like a prairie dress. Oh, okay. So it hid my thighs, which is where my weight was, and it made me look thin. And so it was a series of about six auditions I went in on. And during after the first one, Michael Landon left town to do something, and he was thought he was going to be gone a month, and I would have had a month to lose this weight, but I think it only turned into 11 days. So I went back, and I had lost 10 pounds, I think. Oh, wow. And it was noticeable, he said, in my face. And, of course, in the prairie dress, we even had a girdle cinched up, and I was all held in. <laughs> and so that's when I went back in for the second audition, and he was very pleased. So I continued on through the series of auditions. We had to go through about six by the time we finished auditioning for the network people. Sure. And and by then he told us, uh, there were six of us coming on the show at that point, and he told us all that uh, we were a done deal. We just had to go before the network as a matter of protocol. And uh, it was scary. There were very few smiles in the room. Sure. And he really thought, oh, I just blew that one. But it was done then. It, he was the executive producer by that point, and he hired us, and it was a great experience every single day. Um, I think the only thing that matched that was when I did Summer Stock Theater up in Cannon Beach, Oregon. And every single day that summer, I woke up and it was like being in this bubble of joy. <laughs> and it's so much fun just acting your heart out all day and all night. So, but Little House was uh, such a gift, such a blessing to me. And I, I think that's the one I'll probably never, ever forget. And the only other thing, I don't know how much time we have, uh, Patrick, but sure. the only other thing I, I recently did, nobody's seen yet. It, it's it, it's called um, recently on, oh, sorry, it's called previously on Point Doom. And okay. D-U-M-E. Yeah. And it was a, a web series that a couple of brilliant guys wrote. And um, they're just, they produced, I think, five or six episodes themselves. And then I think maybe there were financial issues or something, but it was really great, fun, tongue-in-cheek, crazy stuff. And I played a real wacko stepmother with a knife in her hand and things like that. And <laughs> so that was so different than my little house, Walt Disney look. Uh, and that was real fun to play. Has that been released or? No, I think last I heard it completely got shelved, and I thought it was oh, for financial reasons. But, yeah, it was it was a real kick and had a lot of potential. So maybe it'll come back around. Yeah, well, we'll keep an eye out for it. Are there any other upcoming projects you'd like to share with our listeners? You know what? I've got something. I don't know where it is either. It's called Criminal Criminal, and it's a feature film, I think, 
couple of hours, hour and a half anyway, and it's still in post. Uh, it was a comedy, which I haven't done much of, and so I was really thrilled to play it. And everyone, director, writer, the writer I thought was very funny, but all the cast, these young, I was the oldest one on the, on the whole set, crew and cast, and which is not hard to be anymore at this age. I really I kind of am the <laughs> oldest in any setting anymore. But uh, everyone was hysterically funny, and I just enjoyed watching their work and working with them. I had stupidly gone on a state skateboard three days before we were shooting. Oh, no. And broke my wrist. <laughs> yeah, right down at the wrist, I broke it, and I had to be in a cast. And they worked that right in. They just, uh, they still wanted me. They worked it in. Oh, that's and great. We did. Yeah, we did the whole shoot. And we shot it in eight days, uh, eight long days over um, a period of weekends. There were some holiday, like Labor Day, I think. Yeah. Or we shot three days. And then we'd shoot two days and two days. And it took eight all together. And they finished it. And they had a lot of footage. But they had a tremendous amount of editing to do. Tremendous yeah. amount. And I, it was laugh out loud funny to me when I read it, and then when I saw these actors working, it was still laugh out loud funny to me. <laughs> and so I hope we'll see it. Um, if you do, it's criminal criminals, and I know a lot of times the people who we made it for send their projects to cruise ships and airplanes and places like that. Okay. Uh, but I, you know, I think nowadays so much is available on demand or through Netflix that a lot of People just go straight to DVD and market it everywhere. So yeah. I'm not sure where we are with all of that, but I do hope that comes out. Yeah, I had seen that title. At, I think it's currently at the top of your IMDb page, and I assume from the title that it was a comedy, but I, I couldn't find any other information about it online, so I'll definitely be looking out for that yeah. one. Yeah, I hope it'll give you something to look for one yeah. of these days. I was just going to say how lucky, how fortunate I was to have the scene I did in the social network. Oh, um, right, yeah. And it ended up yeah. in the trailer, too, right? It did, and that was the real gift uh, because I got so much coverage and, uh, you know, airtime out of that crazy trailer, which was a beautiful trailer. It was. But, yeah, um, it's just the way that it climbs and it moves and then abruptly stops when you end on he and I in the conference room and the music stops and it's just us talking. And uh, I would go into casting offices, and casting directors, who were always nice, would say, so what was it like to work with David Fincher? And <laughs> they wanted to talk about the movie. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but I did do some, I got some bookings that came, I know, from that, from having done The Social Network. So that was a huge gift, and that will always be a great memory. Sure. Well, that must have been an experience working on a, on a Fincher and Aaron Sorkin movie. <laughs> It, I'm telling you, it was. It just was. And it was quick for me. It was a half a day's work. And I met Jesse uh, Eisenberg, but I didn't actually know him, and we didn't have much time to visit. But he, he was very gracious. And, uh, oh, another guy who was quite wonderful was, I think it was Barry Livingston. He played the head of the Harvard security. Right. And he's the one they wake up in the night. Yeah, so the system's been hacked. And he was working with me, and he was extremely positive. And I'm always rather insecure on whenever I'm acting anywhere, worried that I'm giving them what they want and that I'm on target. And That sounds like an actor right to me. <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? I know. <laughs> um, but Barry had worked with uh, David Fincher quite a bit, and he knew that it was going well. And, and um, 
he even leaned over to me at one point and he said, I know this guy over there on the crew, I think he was a light, maybe a grip or something. Anyway, he said um, that he had, that the grip had said something extremely positive about what I was doing. And so then I kind of relaxed a little and I knew, okay, I must be on target. Because you want to please these directors and you, you know, at the end of the day, I believe the director and editor make me look good as opposed to the other way around. Sure. But, um, I, you know, I think he was happy and it was a really great, although quick experience. Yeah. It's an incredibly powerful scene too. It is. And we knew nothing about it. It was so secretive. We didn't get the, what they call sides, the script to do the audition from sure. until we were there. And we were all in the room, and it was filled with men and women and all different ethnicities. And, and we didn't know what we were all competing for. I'm sure it was for a variety of parts. Sure. But, um, yeah, they would not let us. It was a total cold read. They would so, not yeah, you're us. memorizing this stuff on set? Yeah. Or, well, actually, not for the shoot. It's for just for the audition. Oh, okay. Uh, they didn't give us. So they gave it to us, um, and then they started. Uh, I think they gave us maybe five minutes to look it over, and then they started the audition. Oh, wow. So if you went in first, you didn't have much time to prepare. And I, I guess the choice that I made in the audition was exactly what I did in the shoot. So obviously he liked what my choice was. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that made me feel good. Because I think, I think what I chose to do was to be very official and businesslike, but to read the first part of it, which is the list of, things he's charged with yeah and as opposed to trying to memorize or trying to look at the camera and read i just read them as though i would have read them in the in the um inquisition thing and then i set the page down and i said the other lines to the camera and that's what an administrator in that position would be doing you want to cover all the charges before you go on to make your comment so yeah and you wouldn't have had them memorized you would have read so i i thought you know, and, and I guess things like that make you feel good because in the moment it's hard to think quickly and to know what to do when you've only had a couple minutes to look at it yeah, and then rattle it off. So, so yeah, it's, um, that's a good memory, too. It's a, a great experience for me. Great. Well, I want to thank you again so much for sharing your time with us today. You're very welcome. I hope I didn't ramble on too much. Oh, and, not uh, at all. Not yeah. at all. Yeah, I thank you for what you're doing. It's nice to to have this MacGyver episode resurface. Yeah, and we'll definitely um, we'll pass along a link uh, when the episode goes up so you can take a listen if you'd like. Oh, I'd love to. That would be a lot of fun. Sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Well, thank you again so much for calling. You bet. Take care, Patrick. All right. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, and... Uh, that's pretty much the end of the episode. Like the, the, the people who, the other people who are on the train are, are brought back. Um, led and, by the young girl with the doll, yeah. which she returns to MacGyver for some reason. Yeah, she returns to MacGyver. And I guess it's like a sign, like I needed this and now you need it maybe. Right. And I don't know um, if, uh, if any of our listeners haven't already heard of it, uh, you should check out the MacGyver project. It's a, a website. Um, uh, this guy's basically uh, reviewing each episode of MacGyver in his own personal preference order. Okay. So, like, from his least favorite episode to his favorite episode. And he did an interview with, with the actress who played the little girl in this episode. I mean, she doesn't act anymore, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, but her name is Sarah Gilbert, but Sarah is spelled with oh. X, I think. Or okay. it's like Zara Gilbert. I'm not sure okay, exactly okay. how it's pronounced. But it's not, it's not, it's not it's Roseanne. Not, no, it's not Sarah, Sarah Gilbert. Gilbert. It's not from the talk. It's... Uh, <laughs> 
Which that's where everyone knows Sarah Gilbert from. Of course, from right? CBS is the top. Not light it up. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he had he had a quick interview with her about um, about being on set and uh, what what happened to this doll. So it's it's worth checking out. But I, I think it's just the MacGyver Project dot dot com. But we'll put a link to it on the website if that's yeah. wrong. So, but uh, yeah, I thought that was neat that he was able to track her down. Yeah. Overall. I, I like the concept for this episode. I just feel some of the dialogue and some of the deliveries of things aren't the best. Um, maybe like should have removed two or three characters from yeah. the plot. But uh, I don't know. Or it, just two, just just Laura and Andy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, they they really don't play a part in the story of this train yeah. at all. He he could have he could have tested anyone with a lie detector. Um, Here's how I would have done it. Um, you, if you take Laura and Andy out, Kramer's the one who tried to run away. Solves everything. With his briefcase. Yeah. Perfect. Oh my gosh, that's, that's so much better, actually. Yeah. Because the the whole Andy-Laura story, they don't interact with any of the other characters on the train. And their resolution is kind of irrelevant. Mm, we already got kind of a love story between MacGyver and Collins. Yeah. So, and it would totally make sense that this guy would be like, "I'm going to get away with my money because they're just going to take it," mm-hmm. and that would have that would have solved it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it would have led pretty directly to them checking the briefcase and the lie detector thing. So that would have been the end of it. Better, it's that's a better story, sir. And then they use Kramer for the the first lie detector instead of where mm-hmm. they used Andy. Yeah, that's probably how one of the drafts went, and it was probably still too short an episode, and yeah. so. They, they plugged in another subplot. Another American couple out in the middle of nowhere. Still an interesting episode, though. Yeah. Um, I, it's better, epi- better than To Be a Man, for sure. <laughs> it's it's, a, it's an always an episode I remember just because of, uh, when I was much younger, I, I, I really loved trains. I still like trains. Sure. Um, but uh, So this is an episode that takes place on a train, about a train. Uh, I always remember the lie detector, uh, MacGyverism, as something that he did. And, uh, and yeah, it's just, I, I don't think it's my favorite episode by far, but it's just an episode that sticks with me. Yeah. Uh, mentally, like when I think about MacGyver, it's one of the episodes I think about. And I also think it's interesting how they take the, these bandits who storm the train and sort of humanize them and turn the story yeah. around on the, they're not the bad guys of this episode. Right. The bad guys of this episode, we've already been introduced to, and they're just people on the train with you. I mean, you, I suppose you could argue the ends justify the means, but... Yeah, or as MacGyver puts it, he has a right, but he's wrong. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, had they, had they had the means, like if they identified the the two bad guys right away, like on the train, oh, these are the guys, and the episode's over and the, the Hassan goes and kills them, yeah. then he would be the bad guy, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they had to they had to interrupt that But process. I believe Hassan is going to take Blade to go be prosecuted in, yeah. in whatever the court of India would exactly. be. Or... I- I, I'm not 100% sure they're in India. We're assuming that. Yeah, uh, it's it's really It seems hard like they're at say. least headed to India. Yeah, it, they, they, I mean, it, I suppose it could be like, like Pakistan or... Um, it, they, they mentioned a city called Rajmir, which I couldn't find. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's all kinds of like artwork on the train that like seems kind of like... Hindi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not... It, it's just never clear. They never say. They never outright say... Um, but it was shot in Indian Hills. Indian Hills. So Indian Hills, California. Yep. So, and so, 
but that's a different Indian. Those people <laughs> Native are, American. Th- those people are Indians. Right. They're supposed to be playing Indians. And I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Yeah. Um, obviously, if you want to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at Opening Gambit. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Phoenix Foundation Podcast. And uh, obviously, you can always find us in the show at phoenixfoundationpodcast.com. Um, and if you're digging the show, feel free to review us on iTunes. And tune in next week. We're going to be covering Season 1, Episode 20, The Escape. Exciting. Yeah. Exciting times. John Delancey. That's right. Good stuff. Get ready, folks. All right. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Thanks.